Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, I'm good uh, because, um, and, and Nia knows this, our listeners don't yet, you and I get to talk about one of my favorite subjects in the whole wide world. I film. You love film. Yes. You love yes. all film. Yes. You like bad films. You like good films. You like films in various languages. You like films with no sound. You like yes. all the films. Yes. I, on the other hand, um, uh, I want to mention that the entire reason that this exists, that this that this episode exists, or rather not this episode, but what we're talking about exists, is because I, like the rest of the world, recoiled when Ted Turner decided to colorize films. because some films were not meant to be in color like they're not and he just did that because audiences don't like black and white films but i wasn't the only one right there were other people and then this came about so isn't that basically why we have yes so what he is referring to listeners is during the 1980s um some uh, very prominent filmmakers and Hollywood, if you will, personalities uh, in the United States um, recoiled, okay? I think is a really good verb. I think you just used it, recoiled. Yes. Okay. Um, At what the then owner of Turner Broadcasting, who who owned um, um, Turner Classic Movies, uh, and I'm not sure if he was married to Jane Fonda at the time. I think he married her later. Okay. Yes. Okay. But Ted Turner, okay, who um, was uh, a, a millionaire. Yeah. Okay. He owned um, uh, 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 Turner Broadcasting, uh, which was TBS. Um, he was the founder of CNN. Okay. Right. Um, at one point, okay. Uh, when CNN and Warner Brothers were linked together, okay, he was the CEO of that, okay? So when you look up mogul yes. in the dictionary, there's a yes. small picture of Ted Turner next to, next yes. to it. Yes. Where you're he like, had, aha, Ted yeah, Turner. He had gray hair, he had a mustache, okay, <laughs> blah, blah, Very blah. handsome, very charming, but yes. he went around colorizing films, and that, yeah, what he was R-O-N-G doing. wrong. Yes, okay. <laughs> Because on Turner Classic Movies, okay, um, uh, uh, they crunched the numbers and they figured out that many Americans um, did not like to watch black and white movies. Well, black and white movies, okay, uh, were basically the only kind of movie you had well into the late 1940s, early 1950s. So Ted Turner was just like, well, we're just going to go ahead and colorize classic movies, right? And don't forget those movies, those early movies would have had would have been cheaper for him to show on his on his network Work. than more recent movies would have been. Yes. 
Because so, part of what he was after was Turner Classics, but also part of what he was after was less expensive films to show. That's and you right. You could get the rights to show those films a lot cheaper than you could get the rights to show other films. But yes, he went around colorizing black and white films, and, much and, to the chagrin of... I mean, some really well-known filmmakers like Frank Capra, Martin Scorsese, um, and they went to Congress, okay? And then said, and said there ought to be a law. There ought to be a law in the infamous, okay, I'm just a bill, schoolhouse rock, <laughs> there ought to be a law, right? So, um, and what they asked Congress to do was uh, uh, to pass a film preservation bill to avoid commercial modifications of classic films. And it wasn't just the colorizing of classic films. It was the use of pan and scan and changing the editing. Because, you know, many movies are, you know, were designed or were made to fit the big screen in, in, in a movie house, in a movie I, theater. So this is where you get that thing that says this has been cut to fit your television screen. That's and you right. Get that yes. black box on the top and the bottom. Yes, yes. Because they change yeah. the perspective on it. Ah, so it was okay. to prevent that as well. Okay. Well, you know what? I can see Capra, Scorsese, and other people like that saying, no, no. If I had wanted the film to be filmed that way, I would have filmed it. Filmed that it way. that way, but I, I filmed it the way I filmed it intentionally as an artistic choice. Yes, like we regularly don't cut the legs off of statues. Yeah, that's right. Okay, right. We don't just say that David he doesn't need that leg chop because he can just look like a flamingo standing there. Like, you know it, 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 that. Yeah, an art because museum. Because the artist made a choice. An art museum doesn't go and say, and say, you know, we only have two feet by three feet. Okay? Let's cut well, down this pollock. Yeah. So that yeah. it fits in this spot. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and... Nobody will notice. Let's crop that Van Gogh, right? <laughs> okay. No, they don't do that. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay, I can see where they would be peeved by that. In it, I mean, I think that people think film, like, they don't really think about it in terms of the director is an artist. They are making artist choices about right. angles, about long shots, wide shot. Like, they're making all of those choices all the time because they have a vision of what this is supposed to look like and what they want the audience to feel. Feel. In when they see to, whatever, right, whenever yes. they see what this is. I'm telling you what, one of the most powerful moments in film is in, for, for me, is in Star Wars when that, when that ship comes over your head mm -hmm. and it feels like you are in 3D. In, well, think about for instance, the, the A New Hope episode, which is number four, turns out, but was number one when it came out when I was a kid. That was like... <gasps> Or think but about it's, Bruce, it's, and that was a total Lucas choice. Yeah, and, and think about uh, and Mia when uh, uh, the, the first time you watched Jaws, right? And you heard the music. Oh, John right? Williams. Who okay. We adore. Okay. We should do an episode on John Williams at some point. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, because I mean, you want to think about, you know, chances are if it's a classic movie, it was scored by John Williams. <laughs> Right. Okay. right within a certain set of years absolutely okay okay but you know the, the or henry mancini you know the dot dot the dot dot right okay it it was pulling you there but that was a choice made by john williams but also the director steven spielberg right okay 
Or, you know, for instance, if you're talking about Spielberg, the fact that he directed, um, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the choices that he made, uh, the, the Holocaust movie. Schindler's uh, List. Schindler's List. Where the only person in color is the little girl in red. That's right. I mean, he was making a conscious choice. He wanted right. you to react to it a certain way. Or Saving right? Private Ryan. When you see that first battle scene, if your heart is not racing, oh yeah, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, right. and because he wanted to bring you into what those servicemen felt, okay, as they were coming onto, okay, the beaches of you know of Omaha, Omaha right. Beach, right? But but again, these are conscious choices, and in and yes, I understand if some of you guys are just like you know, hey, when I watch a movie, I don't you know, <laughs> I don't get into I, it. Oh my gosh. Okay. We had a film librarian at, uh, who has retired, Nell Chenault. Yeah. yeah. And bo- she one night I said to her, why are these films on the top 100 list? She went through every one and told me why it was on uh-huh. the AFI yes. top 100 list. Citizen Kane, because it introduced ceilings and, you know, blah, 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 because of the perspective and blah, 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 because that's the first time you see this or that's the first yeah. time. And I really appreciate that level of knowledge, but I don't watch films that way. Yeah, I watch films and walk out saying I really like that, or I really didn't like that, or that left me mad. Yeah, but, but I don't have any. I don't have any of that film background, so I'm grateful that there is this yeah. group. Yeah, so that does we're... have that kind of background that does think about those kinds of things and how we preserve them. Yeah, because... so two. Yeah, so two members of the house, uh, Robert Mrazek um, um, and Sidney Yates. Um, introduced uh, in 1988 the Film Preservation Act, and it established the National Film Registry, which is the focus of today's podcast episode. Um, the um, uh, And this is a law that's been reauthorized five times since, and its mission, um, uh, the, the act created the National Film Preservation Board, the NFPB. And again, sorry, listeners, but Nia and I like a good acronym. Um, the you know the NFPB. Um, its uh, its purpose is to ensure the survival, conservation, and increased public availability of America's film heritage. And I think this is one of the reasons why you and I like this, Nia, is that we're all about preserving. The country's heritage it could and be, access yeah in access right, right? this idea that there should be perpetual access to certain things it yeah. must be noted millions of films have been made yes in the history of film yes which is what the 1880s 70s or so 1880s yeah where you yeah. start to get film yeah. millions of films have been made like that yeah. and how do we decide what to preserve and how to preserve it. And I mean, cause we've seen disasters at studios where entire rooms of films have burned up or have been destroyed oh, by been, mold they, or- Yeah, they've been housed terribly. All because, kinds, right, they're, yeah, not be, they're not in what we think of as preservation- Quality, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so um, uh, uh, when the law was reauthorized in 1996, um, uh, it created a nonprofit, uh, the National Film Preservation Foundation, um, and the foundation raises money from the private sector. So next to no taxpayer dollars 
go to the goes to this effort. Does okay? it mostly come from the film industry, or does it come from the film industry and from film industry like and people who support the arts? Kind of support the arts. So you're talking like about, if you listen to NPR and any of those people who give foundation, you know, the yes, right, foundation and then this foundation and that foundation all of those kinds of things is it stuff like that is that yeah, they're yeah, doing yeah, okay. yeah yeah so um are you ready to talk so, about the selection criteria 200 films a year no it's um, it's it's limited to 25 quote culturally historically or aesthetically significant films each year 25 okay that's not very many it's not very many I mean, and, can you think about how many films come out each yeah. year? Yes. And, and again, because of the pandemic, okay, more movies are now being um, uh, produced and released on streaming services. Right? Do they consider, I was about to ask you, can yes. a Netflix film be considered for this? Yes, it can be. Okay, so they but, don't draw the line at formal, what we think of as Hollywood, but it has to be an American film. It has to be American not film. films. So even though Remains of the Day, which is one of my favorite films ever. Yes. It, it, it's a British film. It's a British therefore film. therefore would not yeah, qualify it was, for this. It has yeah, it was, to be an American film, American made film. Yeah. Remains of the Day uh, uh, made by the infamous production team, Ivory Merchant, uh, right. two different people. Uh, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, um, uh, no, that's a British film, right? Uh, okay. You know, many of my beloved noir movies were made uh, in France by French directors, and, uh, those, and those don't qualify. Okay. <laughs> okay. And by the way, here's an important selection criteria that 10 years has to pass after the original release. So, for instance, if a movie got released last December, okay, it will not be considered okay, by the uh, NFPB, okay, until, okay, 2032, because the movie okay. was released in December of 2022. 2022. Yep, okay. okay. The first and Augie says December because there's a cycle to movies being released. December is a big month for movies being released. The summer is a big month. And then, like, there are months where Hardly movies any are... Movie. Hardly any movies come out, or those movies are coming out because they want to be in Oscar contention or they want to be something else, but they're not expected to draw a large audience. Yeah. So what some see, movies are not made are deliberately not made to make money. They are made to showcase a story or talent of some kind. Yeah. I mean a ta acting talent, not some kind, acting talent. So there's not a yeah. high pressure, we're gonna make a gazillion dollars dollars making this movie so if you think about the the, the calendar year okay um uh the, the the first part of the year um you get a lot of movies um uh that get released that are kind of sort of under the radar and then late spring and summer is when you get the blockbusters because that is when many americans again pre-pandemic would rush to the movie theaters to escape the heat and want summer escapist entertainment. You know, it's kind of sort of and like kids a, are out of school. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of sort of like a beach read uh, in right. regards to books, <laughs> right? But then when you move into the fall, particularly late fall, 
you will see movies get limited release so they qualify for consideration for Oscars. Okay, but then Thanksgiving to Christmas is when you get the next, if you will, uh, set of blockbuster movies because that's again when a lot of Americans used to go to the movie theaters pre-pandemic because they would be home visiting family and after spending all afternoon, okay, with your family eating, you might want to get out of the house, okay, and at least have two, two and a half hours of imposed silence. Right. <laughs> right. And turn your brain off. I mean, that's yeah, where you yeah. get some bubblegum entertainment, right? Yeah. You get sort of okay. lighthearted movies. So the first year that this that this started, 1989. That's right. How many? Okay, so you said the public nominates. Okay, so it's a three-step. It's a three-step process. Okay, for a film to get on the registry, the first step in the process is the public can actually submit to the NFPB. Okay, recommendations for a movie to be on the registry. I'm so putting that on the research guide in case people want to go in and put in. Yes. Okay. Second step in the process, okay, members of the NFPB, okay, uh, vote on those recommended films from the public for inclusion. So that's step two. Once the members of N the NFPB vote, then the ballots are tabulated, okay, and modified third step by the Librarian of Congress and the staff at the library for final selection, all right? Now, since 1997, members of the public have been able to nominate up to 50 films <laughs> a year, a year, right? For the NF NFPB and the Librarian of Congress to consider. And being cynical, there is a part, a part of your um when you publicize a film somebody's yes. job is to go put this on that list yes yeah that, like that's part of their yes. job now it's funny the first time it happened was in 89 the public nominated almost 1000 films that the nfpb had to wade through that is a big ballot <laughs> that, that is, right okay that is a multi-page ballot but since so, ninety, but since ninety seven, okay, uh, the public has been able to nominate up to fifty films. <laughs> okay. okay, wait. So, wait, wait, wait. So um, when you go there, when you go to the site, okay, you can nominate, okay, as many films as you want, but the NF NFPB only takes the top 50, 50. Yes. vote getters. Yeah. I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah, because after that first experience where they had to wade through a thousand, they were like, they were, like we're not doing this again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so basically, what they do is so you they take the top 50. So everybody gets their input in the first level. Then in the second level, they take the top 50 and the board votes on the top 50. Yes. And then that, and then then those that comes to the Librarian of Congress and they take into account those ballots, but also other things in choosing 25 from right. those 50. That's right. Okay. Yep. Okay. 
Side note, by the way, the librarian of Congress is not always a librarian, and in fact, most of the time is not a librarian, not trained as a librarian. They are almost always trained as a historian or an archivist yes. for this kind of reason, because yeah. As I was saying to Augie earlier, librarians are avaricious. We acquire as much as we possibly can. So we would say, let's have the, ne the best 5,000 films of the year because <laughs> we're that kind of group of people. We'll just index all of them. It'll be great. And, <laughs> and this person is trying to figure out films that are as you, as you quoted, culturally significant, right? They're, they're, yes. They're, they say something about the time or they say something about the country or they say something about the psychology of Americans or something. Or it's not just because I'm going to tell you what, there's some films that I love that probably will never make this list, but I love them because I just love them and they would be on here because I, if it was up to me to pick, I would just put them on there. Or, you know, as you know, you mentioned your former colleague, right? You know, a movie might be on the film registry because it was filmed a different way right. or, or some had, technique was used in used, yeah right i mean you know so you know one of the reasons why orson wells movie uh citizen kane um is considered you know if not the most influential american movie ever made okay one of the top five is because you know as your colleague pointed out all of a sudden, we had a movie that actually showed ceilings, because prior to Citizen Kane, okay, they frequently had cameras and mics hanging down into a room, okay, from the ceiling. Right. So you couldn't show that. And right? he also, Citizen Kane also does a lot of stuff with perspective. Yes, right. Which which so was you, unknown in film until or yeah, because he like, would oh, there's a way we can do this. Yeah, he would zoom in and then zoom back out and right. then zoom back in because Orson Welles wanted the camera to reflect how a human being okay will frequently would pay look, attention to something. Yeah, that's right. You know, look yep. far afield, but then come back in to focus on something nearby. Because uh, he was just like, you know, you know. Well, he was fascinated by whether he could make the camera act like the human eye. The human eye, right? Um, but there's all, I mean, there's lots of films, I'm sure, that are the, that kind of thing. What kind of, um, what kind of stuff is in the registry? Is it always film film? What I think of as. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Let me just yeah. side note. I am aware that I have the linguistic habit of repeating a word to make it make to make it stronger and that's yes. also not cursing. So when I would have used a word, an expletive to make film stand out more, I am using film film as a way to do that without cursing. Yes. But they're not, are they? No, I mean. Other stuff? No, so it, it, they. Feature length, that's the word I'm looking okay. for. Okay, so there are feature length films, okay? And these can be Hollywood classics or in the language of the industry, even orphan films. And an orphan film is a film that was abandoned by the filmmaker or by the copyright owner. Really? Yes. So you saw- There, you, was, there were films yeah, well, like that. Okay. Well, you, you see this with, with not many, but some movies made in the late 1800s, early 1900s, 
because um, you didn't have these, you know, big studios who thought that they could continuously make money um, by, you know, recording films. Oh, you just had people who were like, hey, this is a new technology. I'm going to go ahead and try it out. And they would do something cool, but then they would just abandon the film, right? Or a company would go out of business, okay, and not be bought by another company. So their entire film library could just be hanging out in a college, you know, a library or, you know, some collector's, you know, uh, you know, garage or storage unit. Oh, but it's not copyrighted because nobody owns it anymore. That's right. Okay. okay. And they're considered orphan films. Now, they don't have to be feature length. Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be released in a theater in the traditional sense, which is why many movies that you've now seen released on streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, you know, HBO Max, it, within 10 years can be considered because the registry does have newsreels, silent films, student films. Okay, you know, Nia, we have a whole bunch of, you know, undergraduate and graduate programs um, in, in motion picture making in the United States. And some of them at some of our better known universities, like UCLA, for instance, right? Experimental films, short films, music videos, right? So, for instance, Michael Jackson's Thriller is on the National Film Registry. And it should be. Yeah, because it, whatever you think about Michael Jackson, and that's an entirely different subject, that film, that video changed choreography the, in videos. It changed, I mean, and and it's amazing the makeup and the yes. artistry done with it that those okay. people danced wearing all that crap. Like, okay, so films out of copyright protection or the public domain, film serials, right? So you see this a lot with. <sighs> documentaries okay okay where you know you do the blue planet except that's british okay uh you know uh for instance 28 up uh which was made by uh, michael Alton, okay uh -huh. where he took a look at um a, a series of of of, of 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 brits and he chronicled them at various points in their life actually not to be ugly but to correct seven up Oh, seven up, yes. Seven yeah. up, and he sees them every seven years. He goes back and finds those people. And I remember when he did it when they were age 28. 28 right. They, yeah, <laughs> it was 28 up, yeah. Uh, home movies. Oh. Yes, documentaries, animation, which, by the way, was a huge debate point with the uh, NFPB for a number of years because historically animation um, was would receive no recognition by you know uh, Oscar you know for the Oscars or the BAFTAs which is the you know British um, equivalent uh, of the Oscars yeah the Oscars okay um, but eventually yeah because uh, for years and years Disney won for best uh, soundtrack or best right editing like, or you know like stuff that. like that but they a were long never time to one for to, for there to be an animation category. Worry, and then have animated movies be considered for best picture. Right. Okay. And, and, and again, then, they were be then for a long time, they were best animated feature. Yeah, so they were relegated to that section, but they couldn't be considered for the overall 
you know, big prize. And, and, and again, for our younger listeners, some of you are just like, but animated movies are like, you know, so cool and so great. Okay, but understand that it's taking years to go ahead and get that kind of acceptance. Um, but then also independent films, right? Um, films made by smaller, in some cases, non-Hollywood companies, okay, um, are also on the National Film Registry, right? Indies, they're called. Yeah, they're indies, right? So, you know, and again, listeners, uh, I apologize, but, you know, I remember watching in the 1980s black exploitation movies, which were made only by independent uh, uh, filmmakers, um, and they, you know, uh, were written, directed, and starring, okay, African-Americans, okay, because they couldn't get financing and support from the Hollywood companies, right? Right, right. And, um, and in many of those films, the lead is an action hero. Yes. And yeah. uh, up until then, in most Hollywood Oscar films, Black actors were serious and... Yeah, they were not the leading man or woman. And and they were not actiony. Yeah, they would not, you know, they would not save the day. They would not save the country. They would not save the civilization. Okay, they were, you know, in supporting roles. And very serious. We get one early on. We get Gone with the Wind. We get Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. When she gets it for supporting actress. Yeah. And much to uh, the shame of Hollywood, she had to come in through a different entrance into the state, into the auditorium to get her Oscar. Yeah, what it just uh, says uh, so much about. Yeah, the Dorothy uh, Chandler Pavilion. So, but but anyway, um, but those films, like when you talk about a, a lead action hero, they had to be made independently because they weren't gonna get Hollywood support until cool. Hollywood realized they were making money. And now you do get um, African-Americans in leads like that. Denzel Washington's almost entire career, right, is a leading oh, yeah. actor of, of action, not necessarily thriller, but action film. So, uh, Nia, you want to guess how many films there are on the registry as of December of last year, which was... Uh, uh, when we are recording, it's the last time um, uh, the registry uh, added movies. You want to guess how many? 10,000. Uh, no, that's a little too many. <laughs> Remember, that's how many we, should be there. Uh, yeah, you're a librarian. Okay, at least <laughs> 10,000, right? Um, Remember, they've only been doing this since the late 80s, okay, and it's 25 movies per year. Okay, hang on. So... It's, it's got to be somewhere around eight, seven or 800? 850, all right? Ah, okay. The oldest film currently in the registry uh, was a movie called The Newark Athlete, which was released in 1891. And it was a short film, and it was a documentary um, uh, about the then- new phenomenon of athletes in Newark, New Jersey. The most recent, uh, <laughs> the most recent athletes before that. 
Well, there was, but in regards to, you know, professional, you know, uh, uh, professional and amateur teams. Okay. This was oh. relatively new. Okay. The most recently released movie was the movie Pariah, which was released in 2011. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's. Yep. That's okay. But you said there's a 10 year waiting period. Wait, there's that, a 10 year. Yes. Is that yes. to make sure that the film actually has impact, that the film is actually. Yeah, you don't go out just off on a box office, you know, receipts. Um, you know, you, you give it 10 years to go ahead and, and, and allow for a little time to go ahead and consider, even if this was a movie that nobody saw, okay, or, you know, did it portray a particular phenomenon in a different way? Did they use different camera angles? Was there new sound editing? Was there a new kind of film that was used to actually, you know, record, okay, the, 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 the motion? Because remember, we are talking about motion pictures, right? So um, uh, the longest span between when a movie was released and when it was actually selected uh, for the film registry uh, was a movie released in 1898 and was not in sele not selected until last December, December of 2022, <laughs> the Mardi Gras Carnival. That's a span of 124 years. And again, this was a kind of sort of documentary that uh, filmed what goes on at Mardi Gras in Louisiana, right? Okay, that's fabulous. That is fabulous, okay? And Mardi Gras is a very American cultural Oh my goodness, thing. yes. Even yes. though there's Carnival in Rio. Yes. Right? But Mardi Gras in, in New Orleans is an entirely different yes. kettle of fish, as they say. What's the shortest? The shortest was slightly under 10 years, and it's one of my favorite movies of that, all time. So they break that rule sometimes. Uh, they did break it, okay, because um, this was the second class of movies that made the film registry, and it was somewhat controversial. The movie is Raging Bull. It was directed by Martin Scorsese, and Scorsese was one of the leading proponents of creating the film registry ah. so some critics were just like hey wait a minute here you gave him a you gave okay. him a gimme for yeah i mean is this gonna is this how the film registry is gonna work okay okay though you know insiders are gonna go ahead and have so the rules broken that's one of the controversies of this of this okay is this idea that you can insider your film there have been only six films inducted at the 10-year mark, okay? Okay, so it's, um, so what the registry said was, no, 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 that's not how this... No, this is not going to be the norm, but the... Because the, out of 856 is not even a... It's, it's a minuscule percentage, right. right? But these are movies that I think many film lovers would go ahead and say, yeah, 10 years, that was that was long enough, right? Uh, because they are do the right thing, Spike Lee's, you know, epic movie, okay? Um, and, and, and I show do the right thing uh, pretty regularly in my politics and film class. Goodfellas, which is another Martin Scorsese movie uh, about the mob, 
Okay. Am I funny to you? Am I funny to you? <laughs> yes, funny? that's the infamous joke. The Joe Pesci line, right? Am I ha-ha funny? Oh, my goodness. Before he just beats the living crap out of the guy (laughs) at the bar, right? Toy Story, okay? The uh, classic uh, Pixar animated movie. Buzz Lightyear. That's right, okay? Fargo, okay, from the (laughs) Coen brothers. Who's your friend in the wood chipper? Francis McDormand, who's yeah, Francis McDormand, Thirteen Lakes and Freedom Riders. I've not seen Thirteen Lakes. I have seen Freedom Riders, and that was a powerful movie. Okay, so all of those films. I mean, I haven't seen Thirteen Lakes either, but all of those films are culturally significant. Oh my goodness! They, they yes. talk either about a time or a or a part of the culture that's important, do the right thing, right? That's part of the culture. Goodfellas is another part of the culture that's important yes. for for us as Americans defining our who are who we are. I mean, think about Toy Story. There, I mean, there's an entire generation of of children in the United States whose exposure to animated movie, okay, is Pixar. Yes, right? it's Toy Story, and of course. Fargo, the Coen brothers, that's probably, I think most people would argue that's either their best film or, or that or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like they're just, yeah. there's just some really, anyway. Um, but I'm fascinated by what's on the list and what's not on the list. This year you have a, you have the list and I, I want to bring up a couple of the things, cause I know you probably don't want to read all 25 that are on the list. Um, Unless you want to, in which case <laughs> I won't stop you. But I did want to bring out Carrie is on this. Yes. Carrie, the original Carrie, 1976, Sissy Spacek. Um, directed uh, by Brian De Palma. And it's a Stephen King. And it's one of the few Stephen King books where the movie is actually very good. Because usually Stephen King is pretty hard to translate to film. Yes, it is. Yeah. It his doesn't books. seem to be yeah, his a books. thing that does well. Yeah. That film scared the ever living snot out of me when I was a kid. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, it totally I, I, belongs on this list. Yeah. I saw it in a movie theater and I was just like, I'm, I, I don't want to go to high school. Right. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> kids in high school. Channel. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but, you know, some of the other movies that recently got in. Um, in December of 2022, uh, Attica, which is a movie about an, an inf- infamous uh, prison revolt uh, in uh, Attica, New York. Um, I've not seen all these movies. I mean, some of them I have. Hairspray, where Hairspray. you get um, Divine. Yes. Uh, that's a John Waters film where you get Divine playing the mother. So there's um, like this whole gender bending, but, but, um, but that film opened the door for Priscilla, Queen of a Desert. It opened the door for other films. Divine opened a lot of doors for folk. Yeah, um, I'm making mean, films. Uh, Superfly, which is one of those black exploitation movies mm-hmm. that um, uh, I, I mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> Nia and I were just absolutely shocked by this uh, charade, which was made in 1963 which is uh, a Cary Grant um, 
Audrey Hepburn movie, right? Okay. We were shocked that it took so long to actually make this list, right? But for years, it was kind of sort of viewed as a, a lightweight movie, right? Um, I was fascinated that the Cab Calloway home movies from 1948 to 1951. Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I, I, again, you know, as, as somebody who, who likes jazz music and pop music from that era, I was just like, they got home movies of this dude, right? Cool. Right. And then, and then a couple of fan favorites on my part, The Little Mermaid. <laughs> the which, Mer the yep. Little Mermaid is the start of the modern era of Disney. Yes. Right? Yep. It's, it's the break after Disney sort of had, a, had difficulty with the company and then came back to start of making films that were wildly popular. And so The Little Mermaid. And When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> which has a, a cameo by Rob Reiner's mother. Rob Reiner's the director. And when they are in the restaurant, there's a restaurant scene where um, one of the characters acts out a uh, an orgasm. A woman having at an orgasm. the table. Played, at, like, played, she fakes it. Played by, yeah, played by Meg Ryan. Because, She's like, uh, this is how you would fake it. And she tells, yeah, and she, she does this in front of, Billy Crystal, because he doesn't believe her. Yeah, because Billy, yeah, Billy Crystal says, you know, women, as a guy, I would know. As a guy, I know, I would know if a woman's faking it. And she, and, and, and Meg she Ryan, goes, really? <laughs> so Sally, played by Meg Ryan, goes, really? So then, without telling him, she proceeds to go ahead and fake an orgasm right, right. there in a deli in New York City and sitting right beside them. Is, is this older old, woman and the camera old. goes to her because it's Rob Reiner's mother and she says, I'll have what she's having. having right? <laughs> okay. It is truly one of the best moments on film. But that film is hilarious. It, the movie is hilarious. And it, and again, it captured a, a kind of sort of, you know, urban professional, urban professionals trying to make a relationship work okay and they start off okay um uh, as friends and they right. you know they and it, it's a rom-com but it's not a rom-com from the old style it's a rom-com from the 80s style of yeah, rom-com yes so it really does style style rom -com. Now, now i disagree with one of the choices that's on here yes and you have the potential nia when you express your disagreement of perhaps offending someone Yes. alienating some of our younger listeners yes and i'm but, sorry for that but i'm going to be honest i don't know that iron man belongs on this list yeah the 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 first iron man made in 2008 um uh, uh was chosen for the film registry um and i i got to admit i enjoyed iron man i don't know if it's a culturally significant movie but right. nevertheless i mean one could argue that it's the first in the series yes right and so that may be why it's it's considered culturally significant because it's the first in the avenger series and i will i'm willing to give that a little bit but man there's a part of me that's like seriously if you're going to talk about super blockbuster films like that I'm not sure that's the one I would choose. However, that's the joy of these kinds of lists. Of right. lists is that there's going to be stuff on there you're going to go, oh, yeah, like you have on here 
the grapes of wrath is on there. yes the, the old john ford film yes and it's fabulous that film is fabulous there's a reason that it's that it that it's on there yes. um you know and then there's other things where i'm like really that's on there well in, in what's fascinating that's a is choice. what's fascinating so, is one of the cr criticisms so far of the film registry is that some filmmakers okay appear more than others yes okay i was going to ask you who's most on here okay and those who are on the list who who have the most films on the list okay um are all um white men right and this is one of the criticisms of the film registry and i think the film registry over the last 4 to 5 years is doing a better job at including films made by uh, women, people of color, um, non, non, if you will, Hollywood sources, right? Well, non and can, yeah. And let's be on. Augie and I will be honest with you, at listeners, at this point, and say one of the reasons that white men dominate this list is because for the longest time they were the people who got money to make films in hollywood yes they were the yep. people who got to experiment yes other people did not get to they didn't either didn't get the money or if they did get money were told not to experiment that's they right needed to do something that was a known thing that they knew would make money blah blah yes. blah 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 yeah. those guys got to do things a little more experimental or a little more interesting or a little darker or whatever because they and they were, weren't put into boxes they right? were supported in a, in a yeah they were put in the boxes because once they were successful they were frequently given latitude and right. millions of dollars to film uh, you know to make other kinds of movies exactly go make a movie and we okay. don't even care what it is because it's your movie but the the filmmakers with the most entries uh john ford has the most um, he has 11. That's um, not surprising. He did make a lot of films. Yeah, he made a lot of films. And these he made were, a lot of really good films. But. And in, in, in many of these, if you will, defined the Western genre, which is probably one of the dominant American contributions to motion pictures around the world is the Western. Right. right? The searchers. Um, yeah, right. You know, so he's got you know, Stagecoach, uh, the, uh, How Green Was My Valley, My Darling Clementine, The Quiet Man. I mean, a lot of these, by the way, starred John Wayne, right? right? <laughs> the Searchers, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, Howard Hawks, okay? Again, very prominent filmmaker in the 1930s and 40s. Scarface, the original one, Okay. Bringing Up Baby, which was a classic comedy. And right? is my favorite movie of all time. Okay. Um, His Girl Friday. Okay. And he worked a lot with Cary Grant. Sergeant York. Okay. Um, the Big Sleep, which, you know, for me, as a film noir buff, you're like, right? Uh, William Wyler also has 10 movies. Um, and he, he has... I, he, He's a mixture. He, he has some really funky stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, you go from Dodsworth to Jezebel to Wuthering Heights, Mrs. Miniver, okay, the best years of our lives, which is a, a just a, a great post-World War II movie that probably for the first time in Hollywood showed 
the difficulty soldiers have when they return to civilian life, right? But he also but he did, did Roman Holiday. He got Roman Holiday. He also did. He directed Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand, and then he also did Ben Hur. <laughs> Those are not in order, by the way. No, right? Came well before. Yeah, Roman Holiday and Ben Hur, then Funny Girl, right? But nevertheless, uh, uh, George. Yeah, Cooper, like talk about a mixture of films. Yes, right. Um, See, Alfred Alfred Hitchcock's on here nine times. Can okay. I just put out George Cooper? Gone with the Wind had to be on there. Yes. Gone with the Wind had to be in this in this registry. Yes. Because of its sheer size, like the, the scope. Yes. Scope. Thank you. Yeah, That's which, exactly which, was, which was one of the reasons why when Margaret Mitchell's book came out and it was purchased by a Hollywood studio. People thought, oh, you can never film that. It's you could too- never. It, it, yeah, it's too sprawling. You can't go ahead and fit this in two hours or two hours and 15 minutes, right? It's not surprising Hitchcock is on here nine times. Hitchcock is a well-known uh, auteur. Yes, but he was not, not born in America. Yes, he was British, British. But he had his greatest success when he came to the United States, right? Because And again, the ones that are on this registry are all-star American Oh my goodness, right? I mean, you got notorious strangers on a train, rear window, vertigo, okay. Uh, which North by Northwest, where Cary Grant gets chased by a plane. Yes, like, the, the, the crop duster. What a great scene. Psycho, then, which has like, the first murder on film. Yes. Um, and, and then the birds. And the birds, which is an awesome and terrible movie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's others who are on here quite a bit. Um, you get, um, uh, 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 you know, Frank Capra, for instance. Um, it happened one night. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's a wonderful life. Which you see every Christmas. <laughs> yes, right. Whether you want to or not. Buster, Ke- Buster Keaton, the, uh, the ultimate comed- uh, uh, comedic director. Okay. Um, yeah, the general. Okay. Spielberg. Not a big shock. He's on here seven times. Uh, Billy Wilder. Again, you want to talk about a director with range. Just look at the seven Billy Wilder films. The Lost Weekend, which is a about a, a guy, okay, who's a drunk, okay? Double Indemnity, one of the classic noir movies. Sunset Boulevard. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Really, <laughs> Right? Ace in the Hole, which is about advertising, and it's a dark, cynical take about advertising. Sabrina, lighthearted comedy, okay, with yeah, okay. Some like it hot, okay. Cross Monroe and cross dressing with with Jack Lemon and uh, Tony Curtis, okay. And then you got the apartment, okay, which is a movie about. Um, uh, 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 a functionary in a corporation whose bosses use his apartment for their affairs. <laughs> it's, it's quite the mix. Right? But Charlie Chaplin's on here six times. Uh, John Huston, one of my favorite directors. D.W. Uh, Griffith, The Birth of a Nation. Yes. Whether you like that film or not, it, 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 it captured it, the United it captured, States. Right. Okay. Um, you got St- Stanley Kubrick's on here. Uh, oh, Dr. Strangelove. 
that's a weird movie, but it makes sense that it's on there. Okay. It it completely defines that Cold War fear. Oh my goodness! Yes. Like that film yeah. does a really good job of that. Okay. Um, oh, Vincente Minnelli, Liza's yes. dad. Yep, Liza's dad's on here. Um, let me see. Uh, oh, one of my favorite directors, Sidney Lumet, Twelve Angry Men, The Pawnbroker, uh, King, uh, which is a filmed record uh, of uh, uh, Martin Luther King's, um, if you will, March from Montgomery to Memphis, Dog Day Afternoon, and Network. Right? I show Network pretty much every year when I when I uh, uh, with my politics and film class. Right. Martin Scorsese's on here uh, five times. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, interestingly enough, is on here four times. He's not made a lot of movies, right? Um, Godfather. Yes. Uh, and but Apocalypse Spike, Now. Yes. Okay. Spike Lee, okay, I think is the director of color with the most movies on the registry. Malcolm X. Yes. Okay. Do the right thing. Um, uh, she's Got a Habit, which was his first movie, which as a debut movie, oh my goodness, you're just like, whoa, dude. Kaboom. Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, you got, I mean, Orson Welles, by the way, is only on the list four times. Orson Welles didn't make that many movies either, did he? No, because he proved to be so difficult uh, Difficult that Hollywood, <laughs> after a while, was just like, yeah, we ain't giving you any it's more. It's not worth it. Yes. Right? But, but, somebody but what's like, interesting is is the, um, sorry, to me, what's interesting is the number of times that these these folks appear, there really aren't... Um, it really shows up the lack of diversity. Yes. Yeah. In Hollywood. Yes. And I like that you mentioned earlier that they are fixing that. They are yes. they are now broadening. And part of what will help fix that is broad is is using those other categories, right? Using documentary, using music video, using newsreel, using films that people made that are that that are independent and that are yes. Yeah, outside the Hollywood, Hollywood standard. System. Yeah, right. Hollywood system, right? Because there is a lot of good stuff being done with film, okay, that doesn't need, you know, $75 million with two bankable right. stars and a well-known director and a well-known screenwriter. No, I mean, there's some really, I mean, you know, you know, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing was made on a shoestring, you know, for less than, I think, $8 million, right? Um, even Do the Right Thing, okay, didn't, you know, didn't have a huge budget, right? But, I mean, right. again, I mean, Cab Calloway, home movies, right? Right. I mean, because we record everything, okay? We record everything, and now we have phones, that do that stuff. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see when they expand to TikTok and YouTube and yes. other videos where, or other formats like that, where people yes. are doing things that are interesting or different and need to be sort of maintained and archived for the future. And yes. for people to be able to look across 
the breadth of American culture. So this is cool, Augie. It's cool. And um, I'm going to link a list, link the list of all of their films in the registry yeah. um, from the research guide. Nia, uh, thank you very much um, for doing this episode about the film registry because uh, I am, uh, I, I, I very impatiently wait for every December to come out uh, uh, for uh, for the film registry list to come out because I am such a huge film uh, fan. Um, um, and it's a cool little story about how we ended up with a film registry. So, yep, thanks. Yep. Thank you, Augie. Yep. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.